the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us this afternoon. James Blend is producing. Sam Maupin is engineering. So that's that's the good news. Today we'll hear a conversation I had some time ago with Steve Mosier. The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics is the subject of our conversation. So I hope keep uh, eliminating this article that I'm trying to. OK, there we go. Uh, anyway, we'll share that conversation. And uh, we didn't get to it yesterday, but we'll talk about Trump's troubles that are worsening. He's got six legal landmines, which certainly dims the prospect that he would run for reelection in 2024. Anyway, we'll talk more about that in the second hour of today's program as well. Well, speaking from FEMA headquarters in Washington on Thursday afternoon, the president said Hurricane Ian could be the deadliest hurricane in Florida's history. The numbers are still unclear, but we're hearing early reports of what may be substantial loss of life. Well, the president said the U.S. Coast Guard had deployed 16 rescue helicopters, six fixed-wing aircraft and 18 rescue boats in response to the hard-hit areas. And in the face of serious danger, the president went on to say, search and rescue operations got underway before dawn this morning for people stranded and who are in desperate shape, he told reporters. Well, the president, who was in Florida, said more would be learned in coming hours, but that the administration knows many families are hurting. We're going to pull together as one team, as one America, he assured, adding that the federal government would cover the majority of the cost of rebuilding. The president approved a major disaster declaration in Florida earlier in the day. However, the danger from Ian is not over. Rather, the tropical storm was expected to once again make landfall as a Category 1 hurricane in South Carolina along the coast later today. Uh, Or perhaps tomorrow. We're hearing uh, now that it's likely to be tomorrow, early in the morning. Uh, The president uh, urged, I also want to say again to everyone in Ian's path, the danger is real. To state the obvious, turning his attention to oil and gas executives, the president said there would be no excuse for raising prices at the pump, demonstrating once again he doesn't understand how the process works. Do not, do not, do not use this storm as an excuse to raise gasoline prices or gouge the American public, he insisted. America is watching and the industry should do the right thing. Uh, Biden said that he would go to Florida, meet with the governor and Puerto Rico whenever weather conditions allowed. To Puerto Ricans, he added, we, uh, we're not going away. So uh, in the Carolinas and Georgia, Ian, that it's strengthened to a Category 1 hurricane this morning, is now headed their way, likely to make landfall, if not late tonight, early tomorrow morning. Well, Nebraska, Missouri, Arkansas, Kansas, Iowa, and South Carolina joined together to file a lawsuit against the Biden administration today in an attempt to stop the president's announced student loan forgiveness program from taking effect. The plaintiffs in their filing wrote, in addition to being economically unwise and downright unfair, the Biden administration's mass debt cancellation is yet another example in a long line of unlawful regulatory actions. The administration has said that it will wipe out 
up to $10,000 in loans for borrowers making under $125,000 a year and up to $20,000 for Pell Grant recipients who meet that criteria. Uh, married persons filing jointly will be able to take advantage of the new benefit if they uh, their income does not exceed $250,000. And while the president has uh, styled the program as a targeted effort to help families who need it most, working and middle class uh, people hit especially hard during the pandemic. The Republican officials trying to stop its implementation dispute that characterization citing a Warden School study that found that the majority of would-be beneficiaries count themselves among the top 60% of earners. Well, the attorneys general spearheading the uh, legal challenge also submit that no state, uh, no statute rather, permits President Biden to unilaterally relieve millions of individuals from their obligation to pay loans they voluntarily assumed. Well, the president uh, has argued that he's able to unilaterally cancel student debt to mitigate the economic conditions of the coronavirus, he declared earlier this week being over. Specifically, a Department of Education memo released by his administration asserts that the HEROES Act, which passed in 2003 and allows the Secretary of Education to provide student debt relief in connection with a war or other military operation or national emergency, provides the legal basis for the cancellation. But as the plaintiffs pointed out, Biden declared in a recent 60 Minutes interview that the pandemic is over. So this is the second lawsuit that's been filed and will follow the progress of these suits. My guess is they won't be the only two against this program. Meanwhile, millions of dollars meant to help low-income families send their children to preschool didn't meet Oregon's enrollment requirements, according to the state records. The Early Learning Division, part of the Oregon Education Department, spent about $26 million on preschool slots over the past two school years for low-income kids that never actually enrolled. With gas prices soaring and inflation pushing many Oregonians to pinch pennies, Jeff Myers, a Beaverton parent, said he believes government agencies should be doing the same. That's why he dug into how Oregon's early learning division spent taxpayer dollars and basically just got a tip that there was something wrong with this particular program. These are literally millions of dollars that are being thrown away that could go to schools. Well, ELD blames under-enrollment on the pandemic. Division leaders refused to do an on-camera interview with KATU, who broke the story. But in a written statement, it said, in part, following the lead of the Federal Office of Child Care, the Early Learning Division did not reduce funding to under-enrolled uh, programs during the pandemic, end quote. Well, as restrictions were lifted in 2021 and 22, the school year, many preschoolers that were under-enrolled picked up their numbers. Some did not, however. Neighborhood House in Portland, for example, was uh, granted over $800,000 for both school years to fill 36 spots. The first year it filled 10, last year it filled 9. The organization's development director said most of the money went to keeping her employees on staff and paying the rent. Preschool teachers who were making $17 an hour, those people needed to stay employed too, she said. But like other Oregon businesses, they applied for and received the Federal Government Payment Protection Program, or PPP, loans. Well, because... um, Well, I won't even go into more detail, but nonetheless, that's how that program worked. And we're discovering additional programs that received this uh, federal money that didn't use it as was intended, but kept the money. Well, say what? Vice President Kamala Harris. uh, She made an unfortunate gaffe during her speech at the Korean Peninsula's demilitarized zone on Thursday, saying that the U.S. has a strong alliance with the Republic of North Korea. It's an alliance that is strong and enduring, she added, intending to refer, of course, to the Republic of Korea, 
the South, uh, its official name. Several Democrats running in this year's midterm elections are refusing to define the word woman. It's so confusing while selling merchandise specifically designed for their women supporters, which apparently they can't recognize given the fact that they don't know what a woman is by definition. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back to wind through our way through the news. Second hour, Steve Mosier, the politically incorrect guide to pandemics. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Ian's wrath, millions are without power as Floridians woke up to floods and devastation from the Cat 4 violent hurricane and storm. It's now downgraded to a Category 1 as it makes it way, its way to the Carolinas and uh, Georgia. On potential American carnage, the feds have seized enough fentanyl at the border this year to kill the entire U.S. population eight times over. And on former Governor Cuomo's comeback, the disgraced former governor has launched a podcast and a PAC, a political action committee, one year after resigning. Virtual mission, Republicans are pushing the Department of Justice to investigate uh, cyber attacks against Christian and pro-life websites. On girl power, the Alliance Defending Freedom will argue the Connecticut's transgender athlete policy harms girls' sports and is a clear violation of Title IX. Alliance Defending Freedom says the policy denied female athletes medals and or advancement opportunities and reimposes a glass ceiling. CNN and MSNBC and The View used Hurricane Ian as an opportunity to rip into Governor DeSantis. However, the president and Mr. DeSantis, the governor, decided that was not going to be their tack. Economic evidence, final GDP reading likely to confirm U.S. economy entered a recession in the spring. Did the U.S. economy actually slide into a recession in the first half of the year? Well, by the traditional definition, the answer is yes. But these days, yes is pretty fungible. Well, new data that will be released by the government this morning, I haven't seen the results yet, could shed light on the pivotal question. The Commerce Department posted the third and final estimate for second quarter gross domestic product, along with updated growth figures for the past five years, a process it performs annually. Well, Hurricane Ian has stricken Florida rather badly. They need help. Meteorologist Scott Duncan says the storm surge in Fort Myers, Florida, is absolutely brutal. Major Hurricane Ian is currently equaling the fourth strongest hurricane to ever hit Florida, at least in recorded history. California Governor Gavin Newsom signed a radical abortion uh, bill. Among more than a dozen abortion and so-called reproductive health bills, California Governor Gavin Newsom signed Tuesday. One piece of legislation has pro-life advocates there sick to their stomachs. Assembly Bill 2223 would prohibit coroners from holding an inquest after fetal death related to or following known or suspected self-induced or criminal abortion. The bill would further clarify under the Reproductive Privacy Act that pregnancy loss through miscarriage, stillbirth, abortion and uh, perinatal death due to causes that occurred in utero would not be criminalized. Senator Melissa Melendez says with Newsom's signing of AB 2223, if you attempt to abort your baby but it's born alive, uh, you can now let it die or kill it, and no one can investigate the death or hold the woman or person responsible who helped her criminally. Uh, This is grotesque callousness toward the unborn. Well, California gas prices spiked 16 cents overnight. 
They've done it again. The average price for a gallon of regular unleaded gasoline has topped $6 in the state of California. The price rose 16 cents overnight from $5.88 on Tuesday to $6.04 on Wednesday. ABC says refinery maintenance along with wet along the West Coast is being blamed for the recent spike in California gas prices. Insiders say some of that maintenance is happening at the Chevron refinery and going forward that could contribute to record gas prices in the state. A motion to rescind failed uh, leaving Wisconsin school district to move forward with sex education for kindergartners. They refuse to leave children alone. Well, the school board met on Tuesday to consider a motion to rescind sex education curriculum passed in August. It teaches medically accurate terms in elementary school as well as lessons on gender identity. The school board's new human growth and development curriculum will expect kindergartners to know those uh, these body part names, which I won't mention. The committee that created the curriculum says that research shows kids who know the correct names for their genitalia are less likely to be sexually abused or more likely to report sexual abuse if it happens, have a positive body image and have a higher self-esteem. That cannot be left to parents, apparently. As Xi Jinping looks to consolidate power, Vice President Kamala Harris pledged to deepen ties with Taiwan. National Review reports that the government here holds out hope that the the regime in Beijing can be convinced to act rationally to avert conflict. But with the Chinese Communist Party heading into an historic political gathering next month where Xi Jinping is expected to consolidate power. Xi has steered the party toward a nationalism resembling that of the 19th century European powers. And their attendant expansionism, said Chu Chu Cheng, a deputy minister in Taiwan's Mainland Affairs Council. This, he added, can be seen in Beijing's militarization in the South China Sea, its assault on Hong Kong's democracy and the brutal campaign in Xinjiang. Reuters adds that U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris condemned on Wednesday disturbing actions by China in the Pacific while pledging to deepen unofficial ties with Taiwan days after the U.S. administration pledged its forces would defend the island. China says Taiwan is one of its provinces. It has long vowed to bring Taiwan under its control and has not ruled out the use of force to do so. A female swimmer who was forced to compete against Leah Thomas, a transgender male, says UPenn swimmers thanked her for speaking out, but failed to speak out themselves. Female University of Kentucky swimmer who competed against the transgender athlete Leah Thomas's participation in women's swimming said University of Pennsylvania team members expressed their gratitude for her advocacy for fairness in women's sports. I actually had a ton of Leah Thomas teammates reach out to me personally and thank me for what I'm doing because this is something they deal with every single day, Riley Gaines said, alongside Senator Rand Paul during an appearance on Fox and Friends. But of course, they're intimidated, they're threatened, they're emotionally blackmailed, end quote. Gaines said she has many examples of Ivy League schools taking action to prevent female swimmers from speaking out. One of those examples being an email sent to the Ivy League swimmers saying, if you feel uncomfortable changing in an area where you will see male genitalia, here are some resources you should seek counseling. You should seek counseling. Russia looks to annex seized territory in Ukraine after a vote. The Wall Street Journal reports that Russia was poised on Wednesday to formally annex parts of Ukraine where occupied um, areas held a Kremlin-orchestrated referendum on living under Moscow's rule. 
that the Ukrainian government and the West denounced as illegal and rigged. Armed troops had gone door to door with election officials to collect ballots in five days of voting. The suspiciously high margins in favor were widely ridiculed and characterized as a bogus land grab by an increasingly cornered Russian leadership following embarrassing military losses in Ukraine. So you have Russian military going door to door, collecting ballots, linking the voters with the household. How could this possibly be rigged? The Biden administration plans to provide Ukraine with an additional $1.1 billion in aid. The Associated Press reports that the U.S. will provide the aid to Ukraine with funding for 18 more advanced rocket systems and other weapons to counter drones that Russia has been using against Ukrainian troops. The Biden administration announced on Wednesday that latest package is being provided under the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative, which funds contracts to purchase weapons and equipment. And it brings the total of U.S. aid to Ukraine to nearly $17 billion since the Biden administration took office. The aid announcement comes as Russia moves to annex parts of Russia-occupied Ukraine that held Kremlin-orchestrated referendums on living under Moscow's rule. Senator Joni Ernst on a uh, Department of Defense report, China is exploiting U.S. research programs and stealing technology. Senator Joni Ernst, the Iowa Republican, touted the findings of the study on Wednesday, saying the Pentagon's conclusions should be worrying not just to the defense uh, defense world, but to every government agency that spends on research China might be interested in. China now finds companies that are receiving federal research funding and recruits those um, firms to work for institutions associated with its own military operations. The American company then dissolves and whatever was developed with the U.S. funds is transferred to a subsidiary in China, the senator said. Um, Let me read this other part of that report. Uh, The Daily Wire also weighed in. China has taken numerous steps to infiltrate the U.S. brain trust at times with unwitting assistance from Americans. More than 100 U.S. universities failed to disclose donations from China despite requirements. In 2019, Senate Republicans published a detailed investigation of how China used so-called Confucius Institutes within U.S. colleges to cultivate relationships and push government propaganda while denying the U.S. the ability to do similar on Chinese campuses. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. And coming up later this hour, Steve Mosier, Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up on our next segment, a long conversation with Steve Mosier on the Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. President Biden is threatening oil companies, wary that another spike in gas prices would damage the midterm election prospects. The president threatened oil companies and gas stations not to raise prices after Hurricane Ian. If gas companies try to use this storm to raise prices at the pump, I will ask officials to look into whether price gouging is going on, end quote. The president warned, America is watching. The industry should do the right thing. He then asserted that uh, Ian should negatively impact oil production by only about 190,000 barrels a day, which he noted is less than 2% of the U.S. daily production. While the price of gas has dropped roughly 25% since hitting a record high of $5.02 per gallon in June, in some places anyway, prices began to tick back up well before Ian arrived. 
Also, what causes the spikes in gas prices this year had everything to do with Biden's uh, anti-fossil fuel policies, policies he continues to push even as he harangues oil companies over the high cost. Of course, the president deflects the blame onto uh, greedy oil companies. They should be moving more quickly now to bring down the price of pump. He, uh, He has complained there's too much of a delay between the price of a barrel of oil being produced and the price of gasoline at the pump. Who knew that the president was both an oil executive and an economist? This is equivalent to the schoolyard bully grabbing a weaker kid's arm and using them to hit the kid in his uh, own face and then mocking, stop hitting yourself. Well, Biden inflation hit smuggling uh, prices. Mexican cartels have been making banks since Joe Biden took office, took over 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Over the last 12 months, the cartel's migrant smuggling business has produced $20 billion in revenue and at least $2.6 billion in profits thanks to our open borders. Well, the cartels that control the smuggling routes into the United States have raised their fees to an average of $8,600 per migrant. That represents $2,000 increase since 2019. Migrants making the trip from Central America are now paying an average of $11,500, up from $7,900 in 2019 and $9,000 in 2020. There's inflationary pressure on the number, observed former Border Patrol Chief Ronald Vitillo. Everything else being equal, things are more expensive. Employees, gasoline, logistics, things are more expensive. Even for criminals, the fees or tax that migrants pay for merely using the cartel-controlled smuggling routes have increased by over 50% since the uh, the administration began. Human trafficking is spiking under the administration's watch because uh, they simply refuse to uphold American sovereignty and secure the southern border. Furthermore, the higher smuggling price leads to more migration exploitation as the poor cannot afford the high prices and effectively sell themselves to the cartels. Not only is Biden's open border hurting Americans in many ways, it's hurting poor migrants even more who owe once they have arrived in the United States and for many years to come. House Republicans introduced legislation to redirect funds from the IRS to the Border Patrol. And a final GDP reading shows the U.S. economy shrank 0.6% in the spring, cementing the start of a recession. Germany was warned by the CIA of a possible attack on the Nord Stream gas pipeline weeks in advance. European security officials observed Russian Navy ships in the vicinity of Nord Stream pipeline, the leaks. Vladimir Putin plans to annex four Ukrainian regions in a Friday ceremony. The CNN exodus continues as 20 staffers from CNN Plus are laid off. Princeton University marked Constitution Day with an event deemed the uh, founding documents a form of geopolitical gaslighting. MIT asks its faculty to endorse free speech. What's remarkable is the fact that they had to be asked. And Virgin Atlantic drops gendered uniforms and adds preferred pronoun pens. So it doesn't matter if you're a male or female, you can wear the skirt. On this day in history, 1789, the U.S. War Department establishes a regular army with a strength of 700 men. 1829, London's reorganized police force, which would become uh, known as Scotland Yard, goes on duty. 1918, Allied forces began their decisive breakthrough of the Hindenburg Line during World War I. 1938, British, French, German, and Italian leaders conclude the Munich Agreement, which is aimed at appeasing Adolf Hitler by allowing Nazi annexation of Czechoslovakia's Sudetenland. 
1978, Pope John Paul I is found dead in his Vatican apartment just over a month after becoming head of the Roman Catholic Church. 1982, extra-strength Tylenol capsules laced with deadly cyanide claim the first of seven victims in the Chicago area. To date, the case remains unsolved. 1989, actress Zsa Gabor is convicted of battery for slapping Beverly Hills police officer Paul Kramer after he'd pulled over her Rolls Royce for expired license plates. A lot of nerve. 2005, John G. Roberts Jr. is sworn in as the nation's 17th chief justice after winning Senate confirmation. 2009, a tsunami kills nearly 200 people in Samoa, American Samoa, and Tonga. 2014, in a speech to the United Nations, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu warns that Hamas and the Islamic State group are branches of the same poisonous tree, end quote, both bent on world domination through terror, just like the Nazis. And finally, on this day in history, 2018, Tesla and its CEO, Elon Musk, agree to pay a total of $40 million to settle a government lawsuit alleging that Musk had duped investors with misleading statements about a proposed buyout of the company. Well, coming up in just a few moments, we're going to hear from Stephen Mosier. He's the author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. We had a long conversation A couple of months ago, we're going to share that conversation with you today. And then in the final segment of today's program, uh, I'll share with you an overview of the challenges currently faced by former President Donald Trump. As you know, his legal troubles are mounting and uh, the prospect of him running uh, for a a second term in 2024 may be dimming. Anyway, we'll share you some of the details that are known at this point, things culminating in the next month or so. Did you know that you can win an iPad Air with Pastor Alan Jackson's new book? Yep, you could win an iPad Air when you preview Pastor Jackson's new book, Big Trouble Ahead. Now, this book can help strengthen and encourage you for what's ahead, offering a real plan to help you flourish even in these challenging times. You can go to kpdq.com and sign up to download that first chapter of Big Trouble Ahead, and you'll also be entered to win a 64-gigabyte iPad Air that's loaded with Pastor Alan Jackson's sermons and a collection of his books, including Big Trouble Ahead. And Alan Jackson is our guest speaker for the KPDQ Pastors Appreciation Breakfast that's coming up on November 3rd. All the important details to either enter to win or to attend the breakfast at kpdq.com. Speaking of which, uh, we are resuming the Pastor Appreciation Breakfast. We have missed that due to the pandemic. We want to honor and thank our amazing local pastors, ministry leaders, and spouses for their faithful service in our community with a breakfast. It's Thursday, November 3rd, 8 a.m. at the Embassy Suites Portland Airport. It includes a fabulous breakfast, fellowship, worship music, and I'm so honored to be a part of that worship team this year, and an uplifting message from Pastor Alan Jackson. The event is absolutely free, but space is limited, and you need to make reservations, so reserve your spot today. Get the info and register online at kpdq.com. And finally, winning at home, tackling the topics that confuse kids and scare parents. The KPDQ Book of the Month, Winning at Home, Uh, Tackling the Topics That Confuse Kids and Scare Parents. 
It's the title. And you can win a free copy when you enter at kpdq.com. Raising kids has never been harder. Pastor and speaker Dan Seaborn offers clarity in his book that offers guidance on raising your kids from a faith perspective in a toxic world. You can enter to win your copy once each day from now, well, through tomorrow, (laughs) through the 30th. So do it today, do it tomorrow at kpdq.com. And I guess I have time for one more. Yeah, I got the I got the eye from the uh, engineer. You can travel with Alistair Begg on the Deeper Faith Mediterranean Cruise next summer. Plan your trip of a lifetime, a Mediterranean cruise on the Norwegian cruise line with your host, Pastor Alistair Begg. I've been on this cruise. It is fabulous. Uh, Alistair Begg, it's wonderful that he's there, but to go to the places where Paul uh, made many of his missionary journeys is just a fascinating trip. Uh, and to do that with a pastor of his caliber just makes it a, an amazing adventure. Explore this pe- spectacular part of the world where the early church began and grew and where the Apostle Paul made many of his uh, journeys. Fellowship, friendship, ministry with Alistair Begg, world-class dining and accommodations, an itinerary, uh, itinerary filled with magnificent churches, cathedrals, strolling old-world cobblestone streets, touring 16th-century mansions, fortresses, museums. Book your ticket And come along on this exciting voyage across scenic Mediterranean Sea, August the 26th through September 4th, 2023. So there's lots of time to sign up, to save up, and get ready to go. August 26th through September 4th. Guess where you can find out all the important details. Yep, you guessed it. KPDQ.com. Up next, Steve Mosier, author of The Politically Incorrect Guide. Pandemics. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, my next guest points out in his latest edition of the Politically Incorrect Guide, this time to pandemics, that deadly plagues have ripped across the globe for centuries and always will. However, did you know that virtually every plague in history, from the Black Death to smallpox and the Hong Kong flu, originated in one place? In the Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics, Stephen Mosier, president of the Population Research Institute and leading authority on China, reveals the widely promoted falsehoods and politically incorrect narratives, not just about COVID-19, but about several global pandemics across history. Well, in the newest guide, the Politically Incorrect Guide in this series, Stephen Mosier uncovers the origin of these pandemics from the Chinese pox to the Spanish flu to COVID-19, all of which originate in China. The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics exposes how many of these diseases have been kept hidden or used for exploitation throughout history. Uh, Mr. Mosier is a leading authority on China who also holds an advanced degree in the biological sciences, explodes widely promoted falsehoods and politically incorrect narratives about COVID-19, the pandemic and much, much more. Stephen Mosier is president of the Population Research Institute, is a leading authority on uh, the subject of China. He knows China as few Westerners do, having exposed Uh, As a visiting scholar, the monstrous practices of forced abortions and forced sterilizations, he became the target of the communist regime's crushing retaliation. His encyclopedic grasp of China's history and its present-day politics, his astute insights and his bracing realism are the perfect antidote for the dangerous confusion of many Americans about the nature of the Chinese Communist Party and its designs on the world, designs that were advanced by unleashing a pandemic. He is the author of numerous books and has frequently testified before Congress and published uh, in the New York Post, LifeSite News, and the Epic Times. We are just delighted to have you with us today. Welcome. 
Uh, hello, Georgian. It's good to be back with you again. It is good to have you back. Now, let me ask you the question that some people are willing to answer directly and others uh, suggest, well, we really don't and may never know. What is the origin of COVID-19? <laughs> well, I, I, I said in February of 2020 that all roads led to the Wuhan Institute of Virology because at the time uh, they put the military bioweapons expert, uh, Major General Chen Wei, in charge of the epidemic in Wuhan because they had been doing gain-of-function research in the lab in Wuhan, because the idea that a bat, a bat somehow flew into someone's soup at the Wuhan wet market and it passed from bat to human without uh, human intervention is just nonsensical. There are too many changes uh, that were made to the genome of the coronavirus for it to be a natural origin. Uh, it had to come from the lab. And then, of course, I was canceled. I was accused of being a conspiracy theorist by uh, a group of people who were organized by the master conspiracy theorist of them all, Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, who actually, you know, with his $6 billion budget, uh, was sending money uh, to the Wuhan Institute of Virology through EcoHealth Alliance to collect hundreds of bat coronaviruses and to carry out gain-of-function research in the lab there to make them more infectious and more deadly. And of course, he may have been doing, Georgine, noble scientific research, just advancing the frontiers of knowledge. But I guarantee you, the PLA bioweapons experts said, America is going to pay us to create dangerous viruses in the lab. And they're, uh, they're going to give us the techniques to do that. I'm sure they were delighted uh, to participate in this program. Absolutely. You know, it may sound outrageous to some of our listeners to suggest that there would be a deliberate effort to develop a virus uh, that would react uh, in the human body as it has. But you provide in uh, in the book a history of how China not necessarily originated certain viruses, but how they responded to them and how the Communist Party uh, managed in a number of instances historically that gives us reason to believe that this is absolutely plausible and consistent with what we've seen in the past. Yeah, uh, uh, China under the Communist Party is the great breeding ground of pandemics. 1958, the Asian flu broke upon the world. A million people died. It turns out that it originated in China, in the southern province of Guizhou, in the southwest of China. Uh, did China, the Communist Party, tell the World Health Organization about a dangerous new epidemic uh, caused by a dangerous new virus in 1958? Uh, no, they didn't. They waited until it spread around the world. And a couple of years later, uh, they were called to account and they finally admitted, yeah, it began in China. Did the same thing in 1968 with the Hong Kong flu. It didn't come from Hong Kong. Uh, the people of Hong Kong were actually incensed by being blamed for it. it. They knew very well it came from across the border in mainland China. Once again, dangerous virus crossed over into humanity, killed tens of thousands of Chinese, and the World Health Organization was not notified by the Chinese Communist Party. They kept it under wraps until it had become a global pandemic, killing, uh, killing over a million people. But the real, the real interesting story here, Georgine, is the SARS-1 coronavirus. Okay, we're living through SARS-2, right? Uh, but SARS-1, 2002, November 16th, a snake seller in Guangdong province in the south of China became ill with a snake coronavirus. He died a few days later, but not before infecting lots and lots of people. Thousands of people were dying in China over the next few months. Uh, what did China do? Did China tell the world? No, they hid the epidemic. 
they silenced whistleblowers, they doctored the data, uh, they, they uh, covered it up. Fortunately, before it could become a pandemic in 2003 and kill a million people around the world or more, the Canadian intelligence service picked up uh, wire traffic suggesting that there was a dangerous virus on the loose in South China. And uh, we put pressure on the Chinese Communist Party. They finally admitted that, yes, they had an epidemic. But you know who they blamed? They blamed foreign actors releasing a bioweapon in China. In other words, they blamed the United States in 2003 for releasing a bioweapon in China. Uh, does that, all that sound familiar? Because it should. That's exactly the playbook they followed in 2019 and 2020. They silenced whistleblowers. They allowed the epidemic to spread and become a pandemic. They deliberately released it on the world. They doctored the data. They said there's no human, there's no human to human transmission. You don't need to worry about this thing. Uh, they, they got the World Health Organization to actually lie for them and repeat those lies. And then when they were finally called on it, uh, they said, no, it didn't come from the Wuhan lab. By the way, you can't go into Wuhan lab and check. But uh, it came from the United States. They accused us of releasing a bioweapon in the World Military Games in October of, of 2019. It's the same playbook again and again and again. We should have been ready for something from China because China under communism is the great breeding ground of pandemics. And they did it. They've done it several times now. And I'm afraid if unless they're called to account, uh, they will be doing it again in the not-too-distant future. Well, before we move forward, let me ask you a couple of things because I want to make sure our listeners are, are, are with us. One of the criticisms early on in pointing to China as the origin of uh, COVID-19 was that this was an, an anti-Asian effort, that uh, pointing the finger was somehow motivated by racism. Can you address that? Uh, because I don't want listeners to to believe that this is uh, part of an ongoing campaign to, to denigrate Asians in, in China. Well, I always always talk about the Chinese Communist Party yes. and its military arm, which is the People's Liberation Army. And I always point out that the, the, the first, the primary victims of the Chinese Communist Party over time have been the Chinese people themselves. So when we talk about the misbehavior of the Chinese Communist Party, uh, the Chinese Communist Party would like to confuse us and say, you're, you're attacking China uh, or you're attacking the Chinese people. Far from it. Uh, we're attacking you, Communist Party. Uh, which believes that uh, you should dominate not just uh, the Chinese people, but the people of the entire world. So we need to be clear on that point. Mm -hmm. But this is all misbehavior uh, by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, I often get asked, you know, was it was it a leak uh, or was it deliberately released? And the answer is it was both. It was it was developed in the lab. It was clearly engineered in the lab and they were working on a vaccine when I believe it escaped during vaccine trials in Wuhan, caused an epidemic there. And once the Communist Party leaders realized they had an epidemic in China, they deliberately allowed uh, people to leave China uh, carrying the virus uh, to places like Milan, Italy, and Madrid, Spain, and New York City in the United States. So, um, so it's both and. It, was, it was, came out during vaccine trials, uh, but was deliberately released upon the world. But these are all the misdeeds. Uh, the misbehavior, uh, the criminal activity of the International Criminal Terrorist Organization, 
uh, the criminal conspiracy known as the Chinese Communist Party. I have another question I want to ask you along that line, but I do need to take a quick break. Once again, we're continuing a conversation with uh, Dr. Stephen Mosier. He's the president of the the Population Research Institute and the author most recently of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. We've got news and traffic coming here at the top of the hour. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation this afternoon with Stephen Mosier, president of the Population Research Institute. We're talking about his latest book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. Just before the break, I was asking you uh, whether or not charges of uh, racism by suggesting that the Chinese people are responsible for the coronavirus um, is motivated by um, uh, disdain for them. And the other question I wanted to ask is whether or not there is a an obligation, if China had obligated itself to communicate with the World Health Organization, if it's just expected that that's how you would respond under these circumstances, or if they ha- are signatories to some sort of an agreement where you let the world know because you care about people beyond your own borders. Well, the, the, those are very interesting questions. Again, I would say that the Chinese people are the first and foremost victims of the Chinese mm-hmm. Communist Party since the Communist Party has killed, oh, uh, you know, 70 million of them in purses and persecutions over the years, um, not to mention the deaths in the one-child policy. Um, uh, absolutely, any responsible government, any responsible government, uh, when it has a new and unknown virus on the loose, should notify the World Health Organization should notify the international community and take steps to stop its spread to the rest of the world. China, uh, under the Communist Party, did exactly the opposite. They stopped flights from the epicenter of the pandemic in Wuhan from going to other Chinese cities, but they allowed flights from Wuhan to go to Madrid and uh, Milan, New York City, Los Angeles, other places. That later became you know, hotbeds of uh, a coronavirus infection. So I believe this that was that was quite quite deliberate. Uh, the charge of um, of, of uh, racism is a red herring. I mm-hmm. spent two hours on the phone last night uh, doing an interview in Chinese with Chinese dissidents who are just on fire to bring an end to Communist Party rule in China and are just devastated by the fact that the Communist Party was doing dangerous bioweapons research in the middle of a city of 12 million people and then, you know, let the virus out and uh, lots and lots of Chinese people have fallen ill and died as a result of this misbehavior on the part of the, uh, the Communist Party. Once again, you have to add those numbers to the death toll as well. Yes. How is this current pandemic different from previous pandemics or is it different well, it's different because in previous pandemics, uh, they were true zoonoses. That is to say that that the previous pandemics, uh, the virus actually did come from nature and cross into people. Interestingly enough, Georgie, uh, 58 and uh, the Asian flu in 58, the Hong Kong flu 10 years later, uh, they were descendants of the Spanish flu back in 1918 and 1919. Think about that. The Spanish flu killed 40 to 50 million people. And uh, the pandemic in 58 and 68, those were variants of the Spanish flu. They didn't kill 40 or 50 million people because the variants were less lethal. And if China had told the world early on that it had a serious new flu 
a recombinant virus that was causing you know deaths, then we could have been ready for it. We could have been working early on an effective vaccine. Uh, we could have put travel bans in place. Uh, we could have done testing, but they didn't. They behaved totally, totally irresponsible. Now, uh, of course, the, the current pandemic is caused by a genetically engineered virus. So this takes it to the next level. And I'm afraid that unless we call China to account, uh, they will uh, in the future uh, do it again. They they released the most deadly weapon, I think, uh, ever released in human history. It caused millions of deaths and tens of trillions of dollars in economic damage. And they haven't been held uh, accountable for, for the devastation that they've caused. And, and I was very pleased yesterday, uh, President Trump gave a, a talk uh, here in Tampa, Florida, and uh, he called for a lot of things, but he called for the creation of a commission to hold China accountable. That's his word, accountable for the deaths and damage caused by the Wuhan coronavirus. Uh, that's what we need to be doing, because if we don't hold them accountable, I'm afraid they're going to do it again. They can't get off scot-free. Well, that raises a, another question, I guess two things. What does our pandemic future hold? And are you concerned that our own government has exploited the uh, the pandemic for purposes beyond uh, public health? Oh, well, everybody used the pandemic to advance their own agenda. Obviously, Big Pharma used the pandemic to make uh, last year an estimated $100 billion uh, using vaccines that uh, really I haven't worked very well and caused a lot of, a lot of adverse medical consequences. Um, the uh, political types, of course, immediately when Trump put a travel ban in place, uh, and, and he, he was the second leader of a country to put a travel ban in place. So he put a travel ban in place uh, very, very early in January of 2020. He was only, uh, that was only three days after Taiwan had put a travel ban in place. Uh, Taiwan did did everything right, by the way. They're sitting right there 90 miles off the mainland Chinese coast, and they know that nothing good comes from the Chinese Communist Party. So they're always alert to a threat. So when they learned of a new epidemic in Wuhan, what did they do? They tested arriving passengers for 36 different viruses. When all the tests came back negative, they knew they were dealing with a new virus, and they put a travel ban in place. Uh, Trump was second to put a travel ban in place. and He was accused of what? By by uh, by Joe Biden, he was accused of uh, uh, racist, xenophobia, fear mongering, uh, all of which were false charges. So yeah, they're playing politics. Uh, a lot of that went into the uh, the criticism of President Trump in 2020, who I think was uh, was doing uh, the best job he could under under very difficult circumstances. What was life like under plagues of the past and how do they compare to COVID-19? Obviously, we live in the 21st century. Things are dramatically different. But what was like life like before and how does that compare to this challenge we face today? Well, one difference, you know, for, for those of us who are, who are Christians is that in, in past pandemics, going back to the, the Antonine Plague at smallpox in 600 A.D., uh, also called the Plague of Justinian, uh, Christians were on the front lines. Uh, they were caring for the sick. They were opening hospices and hospitals to care for the sick. Same thing happened during the bubonic plague a few centuries later. Uh, the churches were full of people uh, praying uh, and, uh, and working on behalf of uh, uh, those who were ill. Uh, ordinary people um, fled the cities, but, but great saints like uh, St. Catherine of Siena State in, uh, in Siena and uh, 
and ran a hospital and cared for those who were falling ill at uh, total disregard for her own for her own health. So uh, this time it was different because the churches were not allowed to even hold uh, prayer meetings. Uh, we were not allowed to gather in our churches. We were not allowed uh, to do the kinds of uh, charitable work that uh, we had been allowed to in previous pandemics. Instead, uh, we were locked in our homes under the false idea that the Chinese lockdown had stopped the pandemic cold in China. Uh, we were the victims of a propaganda campaign that came from China. And I'm afraid that Dr. Anthony Fauci and Dr. Deborah Burks fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. And the propaganda campaign was this. It began with fear porn, where you saw people, videos of people falling dead in the streets of Wuhan. You saw hospital corridors filled with body bags, and you thought, this is the apocalypse. This is the viral apocalypse. And then the next thing you heard from China was that they've locked down 60 million people, and they've stopped the pandemic in its tracks. Deaths have fallen to very low levels. Infections are way down. And uh, the Chinese propaganda apparatus was soon bragging that there were more people dying in New York City uh, than were dying in all of China. I don't think that was true, Georgine. I think that those numbers were fabricated uh, to make the Communist Party look good. But as I say, Fauci and Burks fell for it. And, uh, and Burks went into, uh, Burks and Fauci went into President Trump and said, we'd have to lock down. Otherwise, millions of people are going to die. And look, China is locking down and they've controlled the pandemic. And uh, they managed to talk the president into a two-week lockdown. But we now know that Deborah Burks thought that was just the camel's nose under the tent. That was just the foot in the door because she immediately went back, according to her own autobiography, and started uh, thinking about how to extend it, not just to two more weeks, but for months and months and months. Um, so that's that's what was going on. Uh, and it, 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 it put us all through two years of uh, pandemic hell. Yeah, we certainly did. We're going to take a quick break, but uh, we'll continue our conversation again with Stephen Mosier, author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. We'll be back in a few moments to continue taking a look at The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Stephen uh, Mosier. He's the author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics, among other uh, amazing books on China. Deadly plagues have ripped across the globe for centuries. However, did you know that virtually everyone in history, from the Black Death to smallpox and the Hong Kong flu, originated in China? Well, in The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics, my guest, president of the Population Research Research Institute and a leading authority on China reveals the widely promoted falsehoods and the politically incorrect narratives, not just about COVID-19, but about several global pandemics across history. Well, the next pandemic may not be the most devastating plague ever, but another viral uh, panic may turn it into one. Well, the book puts the risks into perspective, explores pandemics from prehistoric days to the present, and shows how we can better deal with the dangerous pandemics in the future. Um, There's now a consensus, a growing consensus, perhaps is a better way to put it, that the COVID-19 pandemic originated in the Wuhan lab. And you trace the history in 1957 with the Asian flu and 68 with the Hong Kong flu and 2002 with SARS. And then uh, most recently with um, COVID-19, which is a a type of SARS um, virus that uh, China is seeking and perhaps used a bioweapons grade virus. 
how does the communist government profit economically or strategically from international plagues uh, or from not uh, reporting them, as has been the case historically? Well, I think I think that the Chinese Communist Party has an absolute uh, disregard for uh, human life. Uh, they don't think that individual human beings uh, have a, necessarily even a right to life. Uh, certainly don't have uh, uh, any any rights that would uh, that take away from the all-powerful Chinese Communist Party. I do think that when uh, uh, epidemics broke out in China, uh, they were unconcerned about it spreading to the rest of the world. Uh, probably because they had the view that uh, that everyone, you know, that China wasn't going to go through this alone, that other countries should uh, should suffer as well. So I think that that you can say that the the Asian flu in '58, uh, the Hong Kong flu ten years later, uh, the, uh, the SARS SARS one, which almost became a global pandemic, uh, all of those were in a sense deliberately released on the on the world by the Chinese Communist Party's failure to come clean about what was happening in their own borders to their own citizens with these new and deadly viruses. But of course, the, the coronavirus uh, pandemic that we've all lived through takes it to a, a whole new level. People, people ask me, you know, did it, did it leak from the lab or did it, uh, was it deliberately released? And the answer is both, Georgine, because it leaked from the lab in this sense. Uh, they had the virus uh, already developed uh, it had been enhanced to be more infectious to human beings, and they were working on a vaccine in the fall of 2019, working on a vaccine to protect their, your own people because you don't want to release a bioweapon if your own people would be the first to fall ill from it, right? So they were working on the vaccine when it escaped during vaccine trials because China uh, doesn't use mRNA vaccines. It uses attenuated vaccines, which are weakened forms of the real virus. And sometimes when you use those weakened forms of the real virus, you can get the real disease unintentionally. I believe that's what happened. Uh, we have a secret speech by Major General Chun Wei. Uh, Major General Chun said in 2017, first you need the spear before you can develop the shield. The spear is the virus, the coronavirus. The shield is the vaccine. Well, they have the spear and they were working on the shield when uh, uh, they speared their own people. And after that happened, and that we can call that a leak, leaked out during vaccine. After that happened, it was deliberately spread around the world. So it's not an either or situation, leak or deliberate release. It's a both and situation. How does an epidemic become a pandemic? Well, a pandemic is when it spreads beyond the borders of one country and goes global. Uh, I think the, the World Health Organization has now declared uh, Dr. Tedros Capricis has now, on his own authority, ignoring his own advisors, have declared, uh, has declared the monkeypox uh, to be a pandemic. Uh, it's clearly not. The number of cases is very small. The number of cases is limited to just a couple dozen countries around the world. But uh, I'm, I'm not sure what, you know, I'm not sure what's going on in his mind. Maybe he spells uh, monkeypox, uh, M-O-N-E-Y, monkeypox, <laughs> um, because, uh, you know, he, the World Health Organization has raised a lot of money over the last couple of years uh, to deal with pandemics. And he's probably eager. He's probably eager to take center stage again. Um, maybe he has the Fauci complex. You know, Fauci just can't can't turn down a, an interview. Hmm. 
Now, pandemics obviously kill people, but they can also kill kill empires. Can you talk about the potential that they have to do much more damage than uh, the individuals and uh, communities that are directly impacted? Well, you know, what we're dealing with is is what uh, uh, we now know is an unrestricted bioweapon. That's a bioweapon that, that doesn't kill people immediately. In the old days, we thought of bioweapons as things like anthrax. You know, a pound of anthrax spread over a major city would cause a million deaths within the next couple of days. Um, this is a bioweapon of low lethality, but it's highly infectious. So what does it do? Well, it, 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 first of all, it has plausible deniability. You could deny, as China has denied, that it came from China, that it was developed in a lab, and that it was deliberately released. China is still denying that today, uh, even though uh, clearly all of those denials are false. Um, so, uh, and, and, and the low lethality, the fact that it can spread human to human asymptomatically, means that it can spread very widely and infect a lot of people. I think, the, you know, the millions of people uh, who died from coronavirus around the world uh, and the tens of trillions of dollars of economic damage caused by the coronavirus make this probably the most lethal weapon, single weapon, ever released upon the planet. And, and again, if, if there are no consequences for the Communist Party's releasing uh, a deadly virus on the world, then the question in my mind is, why wouldn't they do it again? Hmm. That's an important question. When was the first time uh, that a disease was used as a weapon of war? Is this unique or is this something we've seen historically? Well, I mean, it's uh, we, we can go back to the Mongol siege of the uh, city of Kafra, which is a black seaport uh, run by uh, the 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 uh, the, uh, the the Greeks in uh, in about 1200 A.D. When the Mongols were suffering from a, a, an outbreak of the bubonic plague, which is carried by rats, and what they did, they were trying to besiege and take the city of Kafra, and they used the dead bodies of their fellow soldiers. They put them into catapults and catapulted them into the city, which is a very effective way of spreading disease. And so the Greeks fled in terror into their ships and carried the disease to bubonic plague, along with the rats and the fleas that carry the the plague bacillus, uh, to first Sicily and then to other ports in the Mediterranean. And that's how the the major bubonic plague epidemic got started, by an act of bio-warfare, the first one uh, really in in recorded history. Mm. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation in just a few moments with my guest, Stephen Mosier, president of the Population Research Institute and author of The Politically Incorrect Guide, to pandemics. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with Stephen Mosier. He's the author of um, the Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. Just before the break, we were talking about weaponizing disease. And I, I wonder what your th- your thoughts are on the future of weaponizing um, viruses, pandemics. Is this the wave of the future? Clearly, China was in the process of trying to figure out how to weaponize the coronavirus. What do you anticipate we might see in the future? Well, China has a very active bioweapons program. It has really uh, since the founding of the People's Republic of China uh, 70, 73 years ago. It took over the old Japanese bioweapons facilities in Manchuria and has been going great guns since. 
now with U.S. technology and and uh, and with U.S. funding, it's taken it to a whole new level. Uh, the new high ground of uh, bioweapons research in China, according to the head of the uh, the former head of the National Defense University, is the development of bioweapons that are ethnically targeted. All right, that are targeted at certain ethnicities uh, who lack uh, natural resistance to a to a particular virus uh, when when perhaps uh, uh, the people in China have a natural resistance. That what well, that is the new high ground. That's what they're working for is weapons they can target at perhaps Koreans, Japanese, uh, Caucasians, Africans, uh, which would uh, to which they would have a natural or acquired immunity. Uh, the other thing that I would mention, I wrote a series of articles about this in the, the Epic Times, was that uh, China's massive DNA collection effort uh, is also a danger. Yes. Because if they have your DNA, uh, they can see what vulnerabilities it contains, what sort of viruses would be lethal to you as an individual or to the group uh, that you belong to. And so I'm, I'm, I'm very much opposed to to sending uh, any of our DNA to China for so-called testing. And you cannot believe um, the, the companies say that the, the DNA information is kept confidential. Nothing in China is confidential when the Chinese Communist Party intelligence services and military wants to get their hands on it. Everything can be used, can be turned into a weapon. Here at home, we saw the politicization of a pandemic. Those who violated the quarantine or declined the uh, the vaccine had the full weight of the law dropped on them. You mentioned earlier that churches were not permitted to meet. Um, your thoughts on, on moving forward with the potential of future pandemics, monkeypox, for example, already being declared a pandemic, uh, despite the, the low numbers. Um, what we should prepare for and how we might respond in future to efforts to politicize and take full advantage of these political opportunities. Well, I mean, first of all, we have to be very alert, as Taiwan was alert, to dangers coming from, from China. Uh, we have to realize that they have an active bioweapons program, that they're building more um, high-containment labs. I can hardly bring myself to say high-containment because they, they're so leaky, but China is building more high-containment labs. They're doing more gain-of-function research now, and I'm afraid that lurking in a test tube somewhere is the next generation of a coronavirus or some other virus that has been weaponized. So we have to be uh, alert to that possibility. Uh, we have to, if, if, if the next one that comes is a highly infectious uh, respiratory airborne virus, though, we have to realize that, uh, that we already have those. Uh, we have uh, the flu, the seasonal flu is a highly infectious airborne respiratory disease. And so we have to be prepared to protect the vulnerable, those who are immune compromised. Uh, if it's like COVID again, we probably don't want to close the schools uh, because it turns out Sweden didn't close their schools. They didn't mask. They didn't socially distance. They protected the vulnerable people in nursing homes, the immune compromised. Everyone else went on with their lives. And the uh, infection and uh, hospitalization rates for students remained low. Uh, the infection hospitalization rates for teachers remained low. And, and the kids continued to get an education over the last two years, unlike our own kids, uh, which were, uh, you know, confined to home and, and fell behind their peers overseas. So, so um, we have to understand natural immunity. Uh, Fauci apparently forgot about natural immunity. 
after talking about it privately at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic and admitting to Zeke Emanuel, who was the former health advisor to President Obama, that, yes, if you have the coronavirus, you'll have robust natural immunity probably lasting the rest of your life. Um, he stopped talking about it as soon as the vaccine came out uh, because he wanted everyone to be vaxxed. Uh, I'm sorry. I had the coronavirus. I have natural immunity. Uh, I don't need uh, the vax. Um, and I think we obviously have to, uh, this is, goes without saying, right, that we have to stop uh, funding Chinese labs. We have to make sure that Fauci is not uh, sending money uh, through an organization like EcoHealth Alliance to continue funding this research, either in China or anywhere else in the world, Ukraine uh, or any other lab in the world, because it's dangerous. Uh, gain of function research has to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, we're going to make, you know, uh, Dr. Fauci made a bad situation much, much worse. Despite his statement earlier this week that his decisions saved millions of lives. Uh, you know, I, that's, a, that's an alternate reality statement. I don't know how he can. Uh, he is the, uh, the oldest serving aide, I think, to President Biden. The only aide, I think, who is older than President Biden himself. Mm. Well, you mentioned earlier that there was a role played by Christians in past pandemics. And while we want to not just think of our own self-interest, um, Christians have, have been singled out in some ways in this pandemic, in the current pandemic. Uh, it, it, suggestions on how we might serve our community and one another. I mean, I mean vigilance is one way to go about that. Uh, in future situations like this one, where we were literally forbidden from doing so. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that a lot of the, the actions that were taken seem to target people who didn't vote for the current administration or didn't vote the right way. Uh, the big box stores were allowed to continue in business. Uh, the small mom and pop stores were shuttered and perhaps permanently. Uh, Christians, um, Catholics, people of faith uh, had their churches closed. And yet, you know, there were other, other meetings that were allowed to continue. Uh, other other groups that were allowed to continue to meet. So it was sort of one tie, one-sided uh, persecution of Christians using the uh, coronavirus pandemic as an excuse. And I, I do believe there was some political targeting uh, going on quite consciously. As uh, Senator Tom Cotton, a friend of mine, said, um, Dr. Anthony Fauci is a political activist in a white lab coat. And I think that pretty much describes the kind of advice that he was uh, that he is and was giving the president. Mm. Well, I want to commend you for the book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. It gives us a sense of the history and what uh, what we have learned and can learn from what we have been through and are still at the tail end of and what we might anticipate in the future. Uh, I appreciate um, so much of your writing, and I, I remember um, discovering you many, many years ago when you first wrote about China, and I had been there several times. So I appreciate once again your weighing in on this important topic and for taking time to talk with us about it here today. Well, it's always good to talk to you, Georgine. Great, great interview. Thank you. Bye-bye. Again, Stephen Mosier is the uh, uh, director of Population Research Institute and a leading authority on China. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, former President Donald Trump's myriad of legal problems have intensified after a whirlwind week. Lawsuits 
court decisions. They all went against the former president, including a civil suit filed by the New York attorney general that partly seeks to prohibit him and his adult children from ever running a company in their home state again. It was just one of several new setbacks for the for Trump and his family as the probe into his handling of classified documents continues. And unsealed court papers reveal that a writer already suing him for defamation plans to file a second lawsuit alleging he raped her under an historic new law passed by the New York legislature. Well, the new week uh, only promises to bring more troubles for the former president. The House panel investigating the January 6th insurrection of the U.S. Capitol indicted the final um, or rather indicated the final televised hearing was set for Wednesday. Now, my guess is the Florida hurricane preempted that. It's supposed to be an explosive event featuring new witnesses and testimony. Well, the biggest legal threats facing Teflon Don in the state, federal and congressional investigations include the Department of Justice probe of the missing White House records. Attorney General Merrick Garland investigators um, continue to investigate the former president's handling of highly sensitive classified documents and a probe that could result in a federal indictment. Uh, Trump scored a point when Judge Aileen Cannon tasked a well-respected Brooklyn judge to examine more than 10,000 seized documents as a special master in the Department of Justice probe. He lost one when an unimpressed judge, Raymond Deary, put his lawyers on the books by forcing them to take a position on whether he declassified documents and detail his unfounded claim the FBI planted evidence. In another blow, the 11th Circuit Court uh, ruling that gave the Justice Department access to continue looking through the files also struck down Cannon's order allowing Deary to oversee documents marked top secret. The former president continues to claim he did nothing wrong and was widely ridiculed after an interview on Fox News where he claimed, if you're the president of the United States, you can declassify just by saying it's declassified, even by thinking about it. There's also the New York Attorney General's civil fraud case against the uh, Trump Organization. The state attorney general's sweeping lawsuit filed on Wednesday last week charged the president, the Trump Organization, Donald Jr., Ivanka, Eric Trump, and other senior executives with engaging in rampant financial fraud. The 280-page complaint filed in Manhattan Supreme Court includes dozens of examples of Trump and his associates inflating the value of the company assets such as skyscrapers and golf courses by hundreds of millions of dollars. By doing so, the AG says the company reaped massive financial rewards, whether through better loan terms or tax breaks. It shows evidence of Trump overstating his own net worth by billions. The suit seeks to forever change how the former president's company operates in New York. James' office also made criminal referrals to prosecutors in the Southern District of New York and the Internal Revenue Service. Then there's the New York Writers defamation rape case. Uh, e. Jean uh, Carroll, who's suing the former president for defamation, now plans to accuse him in a lawsuit of raping her uh, in a Bergdorf Goodman dressing room in 1994. We won't go into the details on that. Investigations into the January 6th uh, Capitol attack, the House Congressional Committee investigating those events on the U.S. Capitol, said it would hold its final public hearing on the 28th. Again, not sure that happened. I haven't read or seen a thing about it, and it certainly was not televised, given events in Florida. Promising a worthy finale to the eight televised public hearings in June and July, convened by the Bipartisan Select Committee that captivated the nation, or not, Representative Benny Thompson, the panel's chairman, said there would be significant witness testimony. The uh, panel is expected to make public its final report before the midterm elections. And Manhattan DA, the criminal case against the Trump organization, is another of his 
legal woes. Following the recent guilty plea of the Trump Organization's longtime chief financial officer, Alan Weiselberg, the company's lawyer said that they were scrambling to radically rethink a defense strategy ahead of the October trial. Weiselberg's plea deal, which he agreed to for 100 days on Rikers instead of a potential 15-year sentence, requires he testify against the company at its trial about how they work together to dodge taxes. If convicted of engaging in the same scheme Weiselberg admitted to, the Trump Organization faces a potentially mammoth payout in financial penalties. Paired with the relief sought in the AG's lawsuit, the bad outcome at trial could drive Trump's family real estate business into the ground. And then there's the Georgia probe of the uh, former president's efforts to overturn state's um, Election results. A special grand jury is still hearing evidence in Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis probe into Trump and his associates efforts to, as she put it, bully officials to overturn his loss to Biden in the battleground state. Willis opened the investigation last year, which stems from the former president now infamous directive to Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. In the weeks following the election to find him more votes In a recent filing, she described the underlying scheme as a multi-state coordinated plan by the Trump campaign to influence the results of the November 2020 election in Georgia and elsewhere. Well, the grand jury has already heard from former New York City mayor and Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani, a subject in the criminal probe, uh, probe rather. A federal judge said Senator Lindsey Graham must testify after his failed legal efforts to avoid it. And jurors are expected to hear from more Trump allies in the days ahead. All of this facing the former president who may or may not be in a position to seek reelection Come 2024, his troubles are worsening. Six legal landmines facing the ex-president. And we'll see if that Teflon, as um, the saying goes, still remains in place. Meanwhile, our eyes are focused on what's happening in Florida and other states where Hurricane uh, um, Ian uh, is strengthening. We know that uh, it's now headed for the Carolinas and Georgia. We need to keep those folks in our prayers and seek opportunities to minister to them. It's now strengthened to a Category 1 hurricane. It's now moving across Florida, headed toward Georgia and the Carolinas, where it's expected to make landfall tomorrow. Just under 2 million people are without power, um, and updated information is uh, made available periodically. Ian has once again been upgraded to a hurricane. That's according to the National Hurricane Center. After pummeling Florida on Wednesday and Thursday, the Category 1 hurricane is now headed towards these two states with the life-threatening flooding, storm surge, and strong winds. So the worst may not be over, depending on where you live, either in Florida, the Carolinas, or Georgia. Meanwhile, speaking to reporters Thursday afternoon, South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster said Hurricane uh, Ian is expected to make landfall tomorrow. We know this is going to be a serious storm, but we know that we can handle this if we use our heads and follow the rules. He was uh, telling residents to get supplies now before the storm hits. Call your family, call your loved ones, tell them where you are going to be. He said people will be safe if they use their heads and follow the rules. Don't be a statistic. Tropical forces, uh, force winds rather, are expected to develop later tonight with 60 to 70 mile per hour uh, wind gusts resulting in downed trees and in some cases much worse. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're out of time. I do want to thank James Blind for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. 
If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.